Noah seems like such a model person in the book of Genesis, but what is he doing getting drunk after the flood? Do you want to understand the Bible, but you're confused? You've come to the right place. This is Tough Bible Questions on Timothy Talks, where I'm going to work through answers to your questions about the tough, challenging, and sometimes flat-out weird sections of the Bible. Thanks for tuning in to Timothy Talks today. I'm Daniel Pentamon. I'm hosting today's show, and we're continuing with Tough Bible Questions. Now, I've dealt with a lot of these episodes throughout the Bible of just odd situations with different people. And so if you've listened to the show before, you know that I've been working through those, trying to give you some good answers to them. Well, this week, I want to feature a question that one of you all sent in to me. Why did Noah end so poorly? And it really is puzzling. I mean, Noah does seem to be this phenomenal person. Most people remember him as the man who built the ark and then survived the flood. But there's an episode at the end of his life that really seems puzzling. So what in the world is going on? Well, the problem is found in Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. And I'm not going to go over the whole story of the Noahic flood. You probably remember that. Noah builds the ark. The whole world drowned. Only Noah and his wife, along with his three sons and their wives, survive in a boat. And, of course, all the animals. But they finally emerge out of that ark, and Noah builds an altar, and he sacrifices to God. Well, then God blesses them, and he makes a covenant with them, and that covenant is signified by the bow in the clouds. Well, it's at that point that the trouble starts. We read that Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Then we read that Noah drinks the wine from the vineyard, and he gets drunk. And in fact, the text says that he lay uncovered in his tent. Now, from here, The text goes on and it says that things actually got even more ominous. It says that one of his sons sees this. His name is Ham, and he is identified in the text as the father of Canaan. He tells his two brothers, Shem and Japheth, about what's going on. The text says that Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. At this point, Noah wakes up. He knows what's happened, and he exclaims, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So, this is what we know. There's not a lot that we know from this short episode, but we want to ask this question, why is this even here? Why did Noah end on such a bad note when everything else was so good? I'm going to answer that question. Just take a quick listen to this. I'll be right back. Now it's your turn. This season at Timothy Talks, the goal is to answer your tough Bible questions. So do you have a tough Bible question? If so, email it to timothytalkspodcast at gmail.com. That's timothytalkspodcast at gmail.com. Plus, every time you send a tough Bible question, you'll get a chance to win a Bible study resource of your choice so that you can understand the Bible even better. We might devote a whole podcast episode to answering your tough Bible question. So 
So why did Noah end so poorly? What's going on with um, this incident of him getting drunk and being uncovered in his tent? Well, the simple answer to this is we don't know. We don't know why it is that Noah got drunk in the first place. And honestly, there's a lot of people who are wondering, and they've come up with a lot of different ideas. There's a lot of answers to this, but the text doesn't tell us. So some of these people have given some answers that maybe even seem somewhat credible. They, they might make some sense, like maybe if you just watch the whole world get drowned in a flood, you might be a little depressed after witnessing that destruction, and maybe you're just trying to take to the bottle a little bit more to try to forget about some of those drowning experiences. I mean, that certainly makes sense, but there's nothing in the text that would indicate that, and certainly nothing about the character of Noah that would make us think that he would be the sort of man to turn to the bottle to um, try to deal with something like that. The point's this. The text doesn't tell us. So if you want to know why Noah did this, I can't tell you. He just did it, and that's what happened. But here's what we do notice. Noah was a human like everyone else, and Noah was not a sinless human. Maybe you haven't thought of Noah as someone who sinned, but Noah certainly did sin. In fact, we have this idea that Noah was sort of the most righteous person alive before the flood, and so God rewarded him by choosing him to build the ark and survive. Actually, that's not true. Um, The Bible simply says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then in the verse after that, we read that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. So do you see why the order is important? God didn't say, wow, I I finally found a righteous man. I'll rescue him. No, he just found a man. And that man found favor in his eyes. And through God's work in his life, Noah became a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And that's the way that God works. And that's why I say it that way because certainly you can see that throughout the rest of the scripture as well, that this is how God works. We don't wow God with our righteousness and then he chooses to save us. We don't do good things and then get our life in order and then come to God. No, God simply shows favor. And because God shows favor, then he works his righteousness in us. So with this understanding of Noah, we should understand that after the flood, of course, Noah is still going to sin from time to time. That's not justifying it. That's not saying that's good. That's no excuse. But it does happen. Noah does sin. We don't need to assume from this episode that Noah is a constant alcoholic, that he's just always in a fight with the bottle. But certainly at least once he drinks and he has more than he should have. I want you to remember, the book of Genesis covers over 2,000 years of history. So certainly it's not including random incidents like this just for anecdotal value. It's not just that... The writer of Genesis, Moses, has to bulk up his book a little bit, so he's like, I wonder what sort of stories I should have. Well, why not I tell that story about Noah? No, that's definitely not what's going on. Everything is included in this book for a purpose. There's not room in this book to not have a purpose in it. And I've described the history of Genesis before as generation, degeneration, regeneration. Well, the flood was an act of regeneration, creating the world afresh. You've got this evil world But all of that evil is wiped out, and instead you've got a a brand new sort of world after the flood. But what this tells us is there's still a problem with the world. That's right, all that rainwater didn't wash it away. The problem isn't a problem of Nephilim, that were just treading water during the flood so they could survive. The problem isn't that a few snakes got loose from the ark. The problem is harder to flush out than just unleashing a few rainstorms. It's a problem in the heart of man, the problem of sin. 
So the story of Noah, first of all, it's giving us a warning. It's sort of a sinister note in a story that otherwise everything seems to be going so well, but then you have this this sinister story that makes us realize, wait a second, there's still a problem with the world. It introduces a minor key into the Bible at this point, where everything else seems to be right. It's a warning that the regeneration of the world isn't complete. Something more will be needed if this work of God to recreate the world is to succeed. And in this sense, it is setting up the story for Abraham. It's starting to explain why God can't just say, okay, the world's great, I'm done. No, he needs to be working in Abraham as well. But a second reason for this story, though, is that it helps us to understand Canaan. Now, there's a lot of things that we don't understand about what's going on. We don't know why Noah got drunk. We don't know how his grandson Canaan was involved in this event. The text just says that his son Ham was involved, but it doesn't say anything about Canaan's involvement. And we don't even know how Noah knew about what happened. And certainly the Bible isn't giving us any sort of graphic description of Canaan and Ham's sin, although it's certainly clear that something more malicious was going on than Ham just being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, But none of those details apparently really matter too much to the author. What does matter is that Noah sinned, and then his son and his grandson sinned, and this brings down a curse on Canaan, who seems to be particularly involved in this sin. So today we don't place a lot of stock in curses, but in ancient Israel, the spoken word was considered very powerful. The book of Genesis is filled with words that have profound significance, blessings and curses. And I think that that isn't just because of superstition. Part of the belief, and I think there's a sense in which even today this remains true, is that where the blessing or curse is deserved, it does come about. So God is present there bringing it about. Certainly that's true with the word spoken in Genesis. It happens where um, a, a father will bless his son, and then that's not just words. God's actually present bringing those words about because those words are involved in the fulfillment of the promise and the covenant that God has established with different people. But it certainly proves true here. You have um, Canaan, this grandson, and he is cursed. And that's not a a causeless curse. There's actually sin that has happened. And so where the curse is present, God is also present, going to bring about justice. And what you also notice is that throughout the book of Genesis, many of these curses and these blessings are fulfilled not simply in the individual themselves, but also in their descendants. And that's what you see. So with this curse that falls on Canaan, you actually see the rest of the books of Moses Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and even past there, Joshua, and so on, show that this curse on Canaan is being worked out. God himself is bringing it about by dispossessing the Canaanites of their land, the land that the Hebrews themselves will ultimately possess themselves. And so that really brings about the the prophecy and the curse And the blessing that Noah is making here, where he is blessing Shem, and Shem's descendants being the Hebrews, um, among other people, but certainly the Hebrews are among the descendants of Shem, and the curse that's coming on Canaan specifically, and you see it being played out throughout the rest. So hopefully that helps you to understand a little bit about what's going on with Noah. We don't have all the answers. We don't know why Noah did what he did, but we know why that episode is included in the book of Genesis. It's 
It's pushing the story forward and it's helping us understand what's going on. Thank you for joining. And next week, I'm wanting to answer the question, why are there so many genealogies in the Bible? I mean, what's going on with that? And how are we supposed to benefit from that today as New Testament believers? If you're not already, again, please, please do uh, press that subscribe button. You'll never miss an episode. Um, It would mean so much to me if you'd do that. And if you'd share the show with your family and friends, maybe church people, maybe even unbelievers that are wrestling with these tough Bible questions. That would mean so much. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless.